your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. You're looking at verse 18 there. It's nice to see you and good to be with you as we uh, look and embark upon uh, this week. Uh, we're going to uh, have a great opportunity to, uh, to get outside of ourselves for a few days uh, and to participate in this event called Engage. I mean, this time, uh, this time in your life, it, it matters, doesn't it? That we want, to, uh, we want to instill in you here, during your time here at Masters, to be intentionally biblical in everything that you do. To recognize, first and foremost, that God is authoritative over everything. That He rules and He reigns and that, uh, and that He's sovereign God over all things. And He, and he has authority. There isn't one molecule in this universe that he doesn't control, and his word is sufficient to address everything, doesn't it? And that your time here is to, is to understand and to grow and to develop in what that looks like. What, is it, what does it really mean to see Christ as Lord and over everything? To explore and to know God's word and to see how that develops in your own understanding of what's in the Old Testament in your survey to how the dynamics of Ephesians 4 works out in the dormitories, to everything on how, on how to work with integrity and to, and to be a good civil agent of, of common good and grace in your societies and your vocations and to, to promote and to develop biblical truth in the context of your local church, to be a businessman, to be a homemaker, to be an educator. That you're looking and seeing how the authority of who our God is and what it brings through his word into every single academic discipline and every single detail of your life. And you're here investing in that. You're leveraging. You're spending time and effort. You're spending up late nights. You're having conversations around the lunch table. You're, uh, you're having and bringing your friends into your local churches, just going, what does it look like to submit to divine authority in every area of my life? And to realize that you want to change. That's why you're here. You want to be different. You want to be different than the person who checked in at WOW Week. You want to be a different person when you leave. You want your life to matter. You want to grow. You want to be transformed. And, and this, this commitment to living intentionally, biblically, in every area of your life recognizes that that transformation is not external. It's not that you start looking a certain way, that you buy the right kind of clothes, that you say the right kinds of theological words, that, uh, that you kind of move away, you throw away all of your secular music, right? But that you want to you wanna be different. And you realize that it's just not external because you've tried that game, haven't you? Haven't you tried the game to look like a Christian? To be the one who's in the front of the line, to be the one who says, well, this is what everybody's doing, so that's what it must mean to change. That's what it must mean to grow. That's what it must mean to, to look like, this, this under divine authority, because this is what all the cool kids are doing. But then you begin to realize that transformation isn't about what you do on the outside, but it's about transformation of the heart. Not just what to think, but how you think. 
why you think those things. To capture your desires, your affections. To have those things to be transformed. Yea, verily, the, the palate of the appetite of your soul is wanting to be changed. Not only do you want a taste of something, but you don't, you're, not, you're not satisfied with the other things that used to satisfy you. And you're growing, you're changing, you realize that true change, true transformation, true maturity is increasing in your full-blown pursuit of worship of your God. And that divine authority moves into the very heart of who you are, and you begin to change that the external expressions begin to move differently. Why? Not because somebody's telling you to do it, not because you think that that's what it means to conform and to look like a Christian, but because you actually are one. You begin to move in that way. And, and, and you find out that, that that reality can't be done on, on your own. Man, you remember that? Remember when you used to walk the wings when, when you didn't want anybody to know who you were? You just, wanted to try and, you just wanted to try and grow and be transformed in the quietness of the own cacophony of your, <laughs> of your narrative? I think that was a sentence. Everybody wants to grow in private. Everybody wants to somehow go into some sort of like magical spiritual telephone booth and to come out some sort of spiritual super person without ever being known. But then all of a sudden, you, we begin to see that as we pursue this, this loving pursuit of divine authority in our lives, that we actually begin to see God's word illuminate that we were created to be in relationship with one another. That a part of reflecting and being more like Christ is to actually enjoy the intra-Trinitarian fellowship of what it means to pursue and to know God and to experience that relationally with others. To live in relationship. To know and to be known and to recognize that the actual place that I live out transformation is not just in front of people, but it's with people. True friendship. Friendship that moves in to the heart that helps me to think about things that I wouldn't think on my own and to draw me back to Scripture again and to help me to explore and to taste and to see the vistas of how great and awesome and powerful our God is. Because the sum total of just sitting around all day trying to think about growing is too small. But that the great vistas, true transformation from the heart, worshiping in every single day of your life, has to see how great and awesome your God is. The way of growth is seeing how great and beautiful the authority and the magnificence of who God is, and to worship that God, and to help your friends around you to do the same as they promote that in your life as well. To get outside of yourself and to actually live the way that you've been designed. That intentional biblical living is why you're here. 
It's what you're investing in. It's why you're spending so much time and good night money. To do what? To get a degree? To somehow fulfill the upward mobility of our nation's middle class? You want something more than that. Then I would say that you've actually been designed for something more than that. To take your education, your investment, and your life to actually live the way that you've been created to live, which is to give witness to the God of whom you worship. That's why you've been created, friends. That we've been created, that all of those things, all of the investment, all the things that you do here, all of those things to really move into your heart has one end goal, and that is to proclaim and bear witness that your life has been changed, not because of your works, but because of God's glorious work in your life. To actually live how you've been designed and created and redeemed to live. Not for the, not for the half-baked dreams and ideas that so quickly satisfy our soul, but rather to seek and to display and to move and to bear witness that I am not what you see, but rather it is Christ in me that proclaims and gives witness. That transforms your business class. That helps you to get up at 7.30 in the morning to get to church on time. That gives you the opportunity to, to advance and to talk in your small groups about things that really matter. It's why you pursue everything. Because in the, in the end, all of those contexts are not outside of what it means to be a student at the Master's University. Because the only thing that we want out of you here is not to be a student of, at the Master's University, but to actually just be a Christian and to worship your Master. Have you ever realized that's why we have like the weirdest college name of all time? It's a bizarre name. The Master's University. But it's purposeful. Definite article possessive. It's his school. And it's our lives in submission to him that proclaims not an institution, but our great God. We want everything to be. You want your life to matter. And the way that you've been created is to give witness in the way God's created you, in your investment, in your education, in your pursuit of the details of your life, has an end goal. And the most satisfying place of that is in giving honor and glory and witness that your life has been changed, that it is changing, and that you can worship that God and that others can taste and see of that too. Do you remember the first time when somebody shared the gospel with you? Do you remember how life-transforming it was for you and how you wanted to tell everyone about it? That kind of worship moves into every area of your life, and that's why you're here.
And we want to be intentional about that. We want to be intentional about those things. That's why, and, and that we want to embed into your semester a couple of days, Thursday through Sunday, to actually give you the chance to get out and to experience practically what it means to bear witness outside of this context. To do that in the context of the local church, to, to go and to, and to bear witness on, on campuses and in malls, to partner with local churches, to advance ministry to those who are, who are marginalized and who are at risk, to encourage the people who are weary and doing well, and to move into those contexts and to bear witness and to say that my life has been changed, not because of all of the sum total of the story of my life, but the story of my life is embedded into the story of the gospel. I get to proclaim that, bear witness of that. I, I, I'm so excited about this week because it's a great opportunity for us to just, to just embed why we're all here, not at Masters, but why we're on the planet. It's to bear witness. And might that refresh your soul, having just come, uh, I mean, and we've done this intentionally, right? That we had uh, all the professors, we've worked with our professors, they have just done such a remarkable job where they've worked really hard to say, okay, we're going to have all of our major papers, our major exams, all those things, we're going to have them all do before Engage. So that then you can go, you can, you can go, some of you are like, God, somebody didn't tell my professor that, right? No. <laughs> As a general rule, what we want to say is, is that they have, they've, they've worked hard to do that. Then you have a couple of days to go and to be refreshed, to get away, to, to be with your friends and to serve in the context of the local church, to bear witness, and then to have a day off on Monday to kind of recoup a little bit and to get ready for an academic week. And, and they've, even, they've even worked to push all the major stuff to the end of that week so you, can, so you can hurry up and be able to get ready and back into the swing of academics. That engage is really about stopping for a minute and reminding ourselves of why we're here and why God's created us. And it's an exciting time for those of you. Uh, we have, uh, essentially, we have about half, about half our campuses signed up to participate in Gage. We have 33 churches. Uh, it's just a wonderful time to partner with both our local strategic ministries as well as within our local churches. Um, and it's an exciting time. On Wednesday night, uh, we're going to be giving a uh, kind of a gospel workshop from 7 to 9. Everybody's invited. Um, for those of you who go to Pastor Harry's Bible study, uh, he's going to have everybody come to that. It's going to be in PBC. Just a, a gospel workshop. Well, on Wednesday, we're going to have some of our, some of our friends, uh, both pastors and ministry leaders, talking about some of the questions that you get asked when you're sharing the gospel. And to really just stop for a minute and to, and to think about uh, the witness and the way that we've been designed to live. Um, for those of you who still want to participate, you can on, on Thursday. We're going, to have, uh, we're going to have an experience there in Newhall where we're going to be uh, doing some evangelism, also some partnerships with our local ministries, whether it be the food bank or the pregnancy center. You're all invited to do that. Uh, even if you haven't signed up and you, your Thursday got free, just show up at the community center on Lyons Avenue. That's right across from the coffee kiosk, you know, where the, um, where the train station is, right behind the train station, 9 o'clock Thursday morning, show up there, find Lisa, and uh, you can spend the day with us. We'd love to have you. For those of you who might have some other things that are going on and uh, different, um, 
responsibilities. You can meet in King Hall, 8 o'clock every day, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We're going to be praying together. Just that the Lord would do his work in our churches and among our communities. And I would invite you to do that. You can just show up. You can come one day. Uh, you can come multiple days. Uh, because we get reports from each one of the teams. They all report every day. And we'll have those in front of us. We'll be praying out of the scriptures and having God do wonderful things. Uh, if, you, if you have the opportunity to do that, we'd invite you uh, to participate uh, as well. As a matter of fact, if, you, uh, if you're in there and let's say your schedule changed, you can always call and talk to your RA and they always have another spot for you. Uh, you can come and be a part. We'd love to have you do that. But we recognize that, we recognize that, that it's, it's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work to, to embed yourself, to think strategically about what it means to both develop witness and to proclaim that witness. And what I want to do with our time that's remaining is to talk about the gospel and, and how, it, how it relates to everything that we do. Look here into Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission to Evangelism, and I want to read that together. Let's draw our attention now to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came, and he said to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So reads the very words of God to us this morning. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we give some reflection for our next few moments together. Let's pray together. Lord, you are great and powerful. And we submit our hearts to you as the Lord and Savior. And I want to pray, O oh Lord, for these next few moments as we look into what it means to bear witness, what it means to, uh, to live out and to know the gospel. I pray that you would help us in two ways. Give us both insight and give us and illuminate, O oh Lord, the practical ways in our everyday life that we can leverage everything that you've given us to proclaim all the greatness of Christ. So help us now and give specific application in our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Three things I want to talk about in terms of the gospel, okay? The first one is this. As we think about moving into this week, as we think about a week of, of focusing upon the gospel and our witness, the first thing that I want to highlight to us is this, is, is to know the gospel. To know the gospel. Um, do you remember the first time that someone had shared the gospel with you? The, the, the beauty of the gospel as it illuminated into your heart? Do you remember the powerful part of that? In a lot of ways, uh, for some of you, I know certainly it's not unusual. This was my experience when I had come here. That I had never really kind of shared the gospel, kind of worked through it. As a matter of fact, truth be told, I actually went to... Uh, uh, went to my, uh, it actually was the ASB president at the time, went up to him and I said, hey, listen, can you, can you help me? I know the gospel, but can you, can you walk through the scriptures with me as to how I would show someone from the scriptures where the gospel is? Just to know that, to know like an effective way to share the gospel. Because what happened was that people would ask me about the gospel and I just felt like I was like porky pig. I was like, oh, well, you know this. And I, I use big words like justification and unfolding plan. But I couldn't like get into it, right? They would ask these questions, and I would get hogtied. And so I think it's important, and what a great opportunity to remind ourselves again 
of the truth of the gospel. So here it is. And, and I, like, uh, I like Mark Dever's um, kind of condensed version of this. It's really helpful to remember. First and foremost, as you think about the gospel, you can think about it in four stanzas. First and foremost, God. That God is the creator. Uh, that he is the creator of all things in Genesis 1. And he's perfectly holy and, and is worthy of all worship and, and has the authority to punish all sin. You can see that in Romans 2, 5 through 8, as well as some other passages, 1 John 1, 5, and so forth. And God, who is holy, and God, who is perfect judge over all things and has the ability to judge sin, now we move to the next stanza, which is man. That all people, every single person, was created good. Meaning that Adam, humanity, was created good, but yet because of the fall, now every single person has fallen into sin. Everyone. There isn't one person that is outside of the sinful nature. And you can see that in Romans 3.23. That means from, from birth, all people are alienated from God, hostile to God, and subject to the wrath of God. And that's what we reviewed in Ephesians 2. Remember that? When Pastor Head came last week? The third stanza, which brings hope, is Christ. That Christ, that Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life and died on the cross to bear God's wrath in the place of all and in the place of all of those who would believe in him. And he rose from the dead to give his people eternal life. And that's in Romans 3, 21 through 26. And the question becomes, the fourth stanza, what's the response to that? Because doesn't, doesn't a lot of people acknowledge those top three? But you've got to do something with it. What is it that you're going to do with those things? What's the response to that? That in the end, the response that God calls everyone everywhere to repent of their sin and trust in God in order to be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Everyone. And the stark reality is, is that everyone at one day is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To their eternal blessing or to their eternal damnation. So that's that stanza. That's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. God, man, Christ, and a response. And that's, that's important for us to review. Have you, um, have you written an elevator version of the gospel? You know what I'm talking about, elevator version? No, yes? Track it with me? You know when you get in an elevator? You get in an elevator and somebody comes in, you only have them for like two floors, you know? And then they get off. Like, how could you share the gospel with somebody in two floors, Right? <laughs> so he's like, nobody's going to get in an elevator with you, Joe, right? You know, it's like, you get in, you get in, you get, you know, and you, you just have a couple of floors to be able to communicate, that elevator version. Have you written that out in your own words? Have you spent the time to do that? Have you highlighted maybe passages in your Bible that you could go to if you had your Bible? You know, one of the great things about evangelism and sharing the gospel with someone right now is that everybody can have the Bible on their phone. Back in the day, you had to like carry Bibles around and like hand them out. But now everybody can upload the Bible. And even like early adopters, it's kind of a novelty. If you go, oh, you know, there's an app for that. Sometimes they're like, oh, really? There's a Bible app for that? And they kind of upload it. But have you, have you memorized those truths? Have you written them down? Do you have them in a place where you could do that? What a great opportunity to do that. While you're here to be able to, to have a shorthanded, 
a shorthanded version, an abbreviated version of doing that. Here's another one. Practice. Have you ever thought about practice sharing the gospel with your friends? I know it might seem a little strange, right? But again, sharing the gospel isn't just for the weird people who like, you know, have signs on corners and, and translate their life into all these different— it's, it's for ordinary people. But you kind of got to work out through the awkwardness of that, right? Sometimes just the sheer awkwardness of sharing the gospel to somebody prohibits us from sharing it. And you can kind of fight against that by being prepared and then to practice. To kind of work it out, to work it out loud with your, uh, with your roommate, to talk with your friends about it, to go, here's another thing, to go to an evangelistic opportunity. A lot of our uh, local churches have both Bible studies for college students, and a part of that is actually evenings where they would go and do evangelism. You could even go and grab some of your friends and you could go out to CalArts or you could go to COC or you could go to the mall and just hang out there and start to have ordinary conversations with people and to see opportunities to share the gospel and ordinary conversation. Because it's not just like running by and like, like ninja starring tracks at people, right? But it's actually engaging in conversation. Why? Because we're human beings. Why? Because we're relational. And, and that it's actually beautiful to know the gospel. So as you go, and you go in these places, you talk with people at the mall. You, you, you engage with people in the grocery store. And as you develop that, and you kind of push against the awkwardness of it, begin to craft how to speak the gospel in kind of an elevator version that's very normal. Almost as much as you saying some of the favorite things in your life. Now, you know that I have a lot of favorite things. I do. And every opportunity that I get a chance to share my favorite things, I do. Sometimes I go on and on about it. Sometimes I'm very short about it. Mostly go on and on about it. But imagine, if you will, how beautiful. Remember, friends, remember the first time that you got saved, you could not stop telling people about it. Why? Because it was some piece of information that you wanted to proctor? No, it changed your life. Some people get more excited about a new burrito in L.A. than about sharing the gospel with someone. This burrito changed my life. It did, actually. It was very good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Breakfast burrito. <laughs> Practice it. Know it. The gospel is in some strange thing that only super spiritual people do. As it's changed your life, you practice it, craft it. Know the gospel, first and foremost. Okay, secondly. Secondly, and I want you to think about this. Display the gospel. Display the gospel. This is, I think this is one of the most remarkable ideas about the gospel, is that the gospel is not just a truth to know, but it's a transformed life to live. The reality of the gospel, it, it translates are living because it's transformed our hearts. It, um, it actually puts on display the nature and character of God. 1 John 4, 7 says this. It says that as you live, people can actually see God. How can they see God? An incarnational reality of the truth of the gospel is actually found when you live as a Christian. You actually live differently. Now, again, I'm not saying, like, that you got to live, like, three feet off the ground, right? And you have to be—you you have to wear, um, uh, you know, sackcloth and ashes, and you have to wear certain hats. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying be normal. 
Be who you are. But who you are is different. It's been transformed, hasn't it? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, again, we reviewed last week, but Ephesians 2, especially in verse 10, says this. It says that you've been redeemed not by your works, but by the grace of God. Because why? You're his workmanship. You've been created to display his glory. Therefore, go and do good works that God has designed for you ahead of time. That good works, acting, living like a Christian, is not just a good thing to do. It's actually who you are. Because in living that way, you proclaim the gospel. I talk to my kids all the time, and I go, look, if you want to stand out on the playground, just don't complain. If you want to stand out in the marketplace, have a good attitude when you, when you shouldn't have a good attitude. Be kind. Love your enemy. Be patient. Joyful. Live at peace. Do you see that? Just the natural expression of a transformed life lived in time and space makes the world go, what is that? It's different. Turn your Bibles to Titus 2. Look at this for a minute. It's exciting. Because this this life-changing grace this life-changing grace that happened at redemption, at your moment of justification, just doesn't end there. It's not like it's a truth to know and then you've been justified, but rather it transforms everything about you. Titus 2, 11, for the grace of God has appeared, that being the, Jesus Christ, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It says, look, Jesus came He brought grace to you, brought grace to me. And that same gospel grace educates me. That word there is educate, training us, educate. It transforms us that the gospel not only saves us, but the gospel being Jesus Christ actually transforms us in what ways? To say no to worldliness and to pursue godliness. Living this out, that the gospel is not just to be known and to be communicated, but it is to be displayed, tasted of. Remember in the morning, in the morning where you woke up in a cloud of self-loathing? Remember those days? Just discouraged. What did you say to your heart? Where did you move into there? Is that you came back and you went to Romans 8 and you said there are no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you looked at Hebrews 4 and you say that, look, I'm asking for my great high priest to come and to help me, to give me grace and help in my time of need. Why? Because he's a God who knows what it's like to be human. And he can help me. And that grace that appeared on the dawn where Jesus came for the forgiveness of sins, that that same grace comes to us today. And we get to live it out. We get to do it. And to practice it. The reason why that is, is because we've been renewed. Romans 6 says that we're no longer a slave to sin. Why? Because we've been redeemed. Now we're slave to righteousness. One of the most beautiful displays of gospel witness is that you don't have to be enslaved to your sin. 
Have you ever thought about that? That the beauty of the gospel and displaying that moves into the mortification of your sin? I mean, let's be honest for a minute, okay? Sometimes, if it just was up to you or up to me, right, that just mortification of sin, it's like, hey, it kind of impacts me, meh. It only impacts me. I can kind of weather through it. I don't have to really move. I don't have to really move into these areas of my life. But once you realize that actually the proclamation of the gospel is at stake by how you live, it begins to move the level of your own mortification of your own sin to a place of worship where you say, not only do I not want to do these anymore, training me to move away from unrighteousness, but rather I want to train and taste of what godliness is. Once you realize that the proclamation of the gospel is a comprehensive effort that is completely based on God's grace. To work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And he will be at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The beauty of the gospel is that as you pursue the worship of that gospel, as you display that gospel to others, that in the process of that, your heart is changed, you worship, and it actually sets a context where other people can worship that God. Why is it the way that you live? And once we realize that, that, that it's not just a call to action, but it's, rather, but it's rather something that is expressed out of our being. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21 talks about that. It's, that it's the love of Christ that controls us no longer to think of ourselves, but to think of others. Why? Because Jesus is alive and that he's reigned and that he's risen from the dead. The point of the matter is, is that you can't will yourself to live differently. Because if you're listening closely, you're like, well, Joe's talking about displaying the gospel. Great, now I got another thing to do. I got to go to my workstay job. I got to finish out all those papers that Joe so lovingly made them all do before engage at the same time. Thank you very much. And now I got to display the gospel. Great. One more thing I got to do. You can't do it. Have you ever tried to display the gospel? It never works out well. I'm going to be godly today. I'm going to be patient today. Everybody's going to see that I am a gospel witnesser today. It doesn't work. But rather the beauty, the beauty of knowing and seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ, right? And to actually, not to conjure up, but rather respond to what is in your heart. Not caring about what people think, not caring about what the implications might be, but because you know and you've tasted of how good Jesus is, that you move and you display that out of your life. About living in a gospel way, displaying the gospel, is not trying to conjure up those things, but rather just communicating openly what's happening in your heart. Pursuing those things, living those out. That's why Matthew 5 is so transformative. Remember Matthew 5, the Beatitudes? The poor in spirit, the merciful. All of those things, they're not, they're not an other set of rules that you need to obey. But rather, it is a proclamation of, a display of what it means to live in the kingdom. 
that people who have been redeemed pursue these things. People who have been redeemed are blessed because they're no longer constrained by, by the oppression of sin and the law that they cannot fulfill. But Jesus, our King, has come and he's given us his kingdom and his rules and we might live under them in the beauty and the freedom of that. I'm telling you what, friends. There is nothing more beautiful in your life. Nothing that tastes more sweeter to your soul than in a moment of self-forgetfulness that you live in open worship to your God, to the people around you, in the everyday moments of your life. Loving obedience to your God is not a burden but a beautiful expression of what it means to live life not having to think about yourself. That's why Jesus says that my, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Why? Why? Because he's bearing it. He bare the whole thing. And the beauty of that, thinking about those things, moving out of there, that now all of a sudden the exhortations of Scripture start to take shape that everything that we do matters as bearing witness of the transformational work of the gospel all of these all these imperatives or the commands of scripture which can seem so burdensome don't become burdensome anymore but become these beautiful courageous creative expressions because the indicatives meaning who you are, how God's made you, how he's redeemed the world gives you a context to live those out. Think about it. Everything that you think, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we, we destroy every argument and every lofty opinion and raise against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive. The words that you say, Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Your deeds... 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or, eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, your thoughts, your words, your deeds, the beauty of what it means to live intentionally as a Christian means that you're freed up, not constrained on trying to be the right person, but rather opened up to say, I am a new person. The heart of stone has been taken out out of Ezekiel 36 and 37, and a new heart has been given in. I can now live outside of myself, and I'm not in debt to my own sin and death anymore. The way that you and I live in the most selfishness of our lives is to live in a way that the sum total of our comfort and joy and pleasure is just made up by me. But oh, how beautiful it is. The transformative work of the gospel that says that I didn't have to work or do anything, but that God's grace has been given to me. Therefore, I do good works not to labor, but rather to worship. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says that I can be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because my labor is not in vain. Why? Because Jesus is risen from the dead, and that has transformed my life in the gospel. Friends, Enjoy the pleasure 
of a self-forgetting worship of your God. And as you do, the beauty of that, the beauty of that, puts on display that something's happened to you. Do you remember when somebody served you that way? Somebody did a good work to you? Somebody out of out of their loving worship of their God, displayed the gospel to you in a practical, everyday expression of servanthood to you. They gave, they exhorted, they bared a burden, and they came to you. Do you remember that? In the end, you didn't praise them, did you? But rather you said, look at what God's done. Look at the beauty of their generosity. Look at the beauty of their patience the way of their joy and their peace that's been displayed to me not because I deserved it because the fact of the matter is I've been prickly but they've given that to me and you end up praising your God see now all of a sudden that slave talk of, of the scriptures become illuminating not burdensome but freeing saying that I can serve I can give I can I can display I can do good works not because I need to do that for my own self for my own righteousness for my own um, image for my own identity but rather my identity is in Christ and now I'm freed to do that and who cares what people think but rather to display all of that in beautiful joy and service to my God. That's why the slave talk in the scriptures is so remarkable. That we're chosen, we're bought, we're owned, we're subject, we're dependent upon, we're accountable to our God. And therefore the Christian sees the beauty of displaying the fact that they are redeemed by Christ by living out and displaying it in everyday life ordinary effects in their lives and jesus did it most beautifully didn't he where in philippians 2 where it talks about to think of others more important than yourself why because jesus came and he lowered himself and he set for us an example and that in that example remember out of philippians 2 in that example what happened that G, that god exalted him the father exalted him to a name which is above every name what does that mean how you live to others exalts christ and isn't that worth it isn't that worth your time your investment your days to give to that and here's the best part is you don't have to abdicate everything that you're investing in you go well you know the only way that i can display the gospel is that i need to become a biblical counseling major right that's not the fact you can leverage your story your story friends in all the and all the ebbs and flows of your personality and your circumstance and the narrative of your life, that your story has been redeemed into a greater story, the redemptive story of what God is doing, that there has been creation and fall and redemption, and one day there will be consummation where all things will be made right. And that story, that story, you don't have to abdicate your story to fulfill and proclaim God's story, but actually in your living you proclaim god's gospel you bear witness 
You play and you do all to the glory of God. You work and you design all to the glory of God. You serve and you teach all to the glory of God. You go and you worship in your local church to the glory of God. It's not burdensome. So think about it. What, um, what are some ways that you can do that? You're like, okay, Joe, got it. Display the gospel, got it. Asking the Lord to do that. What are some ways that you can do that? Just the, here's some practical ways if you're saying, wow, I want to do that. I want to craft that. I want to labor in that. I want to I apply that. How do I do that? Here's the first one. Ask yourself a couple questions. Here's the first one. What's in front of you? What's in front of you? I mean, like, what's sitting next to you? Like, who's your roommate? Who do you walk to class with? Who do you see around you? Because that's the first and foremost. If you cannot display the gospel to the people who are in front of you, don't think that there's going to be a switch that's going to click when you go to COC on Friday afternoon. Right? Sure, you might not have to actually share the gospel with them, but you have to live that out. You have to practically do that. Think about it. What are some practical ways that I can live out the reality that my life has been transformed? What are practical ways that I can worship my God to proclaim him in what's in front of me? That means, that means that you work hard in your studies, that you worship your God, that you, that you can live a transformed life by, by working diligently with what's in front of you, not with a bad attitude, not, not with, um, I don't know, criticizing a, a paper or a lecture, but to humbly say, look, Lord, I'm going to display, and I'm, I, boy, I'm tempted to do these things, but I'm not going to, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to leverage that into this right now. I want to go to bed. That's like one of the most, that's for me, right? It's like, I don't want to, I want to go to bed. I don't want to do this. I want to go to bed. You go, wait a minute, but I, uh, all right, I need to steward this. I'm going to do this with a good attitude. And then when your roommate comes in and they want to go to Jamba Juice, which for some reason they always want to go to Jamba Juice, right? And you're like, no, listen, I can't right now. And you're not getting bitter at them. You're not getting bitter at your professor. You're not getting bitter at the fact that we haven't, you know, changed the chairs in a couple of years. And it's like all these things. You're like, ah, right? You stop. And you stop and you go, what is in front of me? What is in front of me? And how does the reality that my life is different and transformed because of the gospel change how I live right now? Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to see it. But you're going to live it. And I'm telling you what, dogs can smell fear and people can see if you're disingenuine when you share the gospel with them. They're going to know if you've tasted of it or not and you taste of it, friends, in the quiet moments of your life. And then you invite your friends around. You go, boy, can you help me? Can you pray with me? Can, can we meet together and encourage one another towards love and good deeds? Can we do that? But when you see, when you see my, my right eye twitch like this, pray for me. Because I want to live out the gospel right now. But doesn't the Lord use all of those things the good days of being led in worship by our chapel band and the hardest days when you get a message back home or something happens that you didn't plan, that all of those things are used for your good and God's glory. Read Romans 8 with that in mind. God works all things together for good. What is the end good of Romans 9? Is that he's on display. He's on display. So what's in front of you? How can you display the gospel with what's in front of you? Secondly, what's around you? What's around you, right? What's around you? What, what context are you in? 
Um, what, what sort of avenues do you have to display? Are you, um, are you involved with a work-study job that's off campus? Uh, is your local church involved with uh, um, uh, tutoring? We have a community center that's right here, right here. And people call us all the time. We actually have to limit how many people that we can say that we'd be willing to promote on this campus because people need help. What's around you? What's something that you can do? One place where you can put yourself in a spot Put yourself in a spot that's not coming at you or what's in front of you, but you intentionally put yourself into a place where you go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intentionally display the gospel in this context. What's around you? And then here's the next one. What's ahead of you? What's ahead of you? Think about your summer internship, your junior year, if you're a new student. Think about it now. Where do you want to go? I'm just telling you right now, accounting can happen all around the world. Okay? Please don't work at Starbucks for a summer. Please. For a lot of different reasons, but please, all right? Don't do that. If you're going to spend that much time, do something. Uh, find an internship somewhere that's not just, maybe it's not here in America. Maybe it's around the world. And I got a friend here in the front row who could find a spot for you. Do business internationally. Find a spot with a nonprofit. Um, find different ways where you can, what's in front of you. How can you leverage the peculiar things that you geek out about and that you love? How can you leverage those things to be a display of the gospel? Please don't try to pretend and to be something that you're not. Rather, be who God has created you to be in the renewedness of the gospel. Find a spot and do it. You can't steer a ship if it's not moving. And so many times we sit around and go, boy, how am I going to advance the gospel? How am I going to make my life matter? How am I going to look in 20 years about the, the, the influence for the kingdom? How am I going to do that? And you sit and you think 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 and you think. Stop it. Just go do something. Find something to do and do it. Even if it bombs the epic bomb, you can still learn something from it. So do it. Find something and apply it. Boy, if you need some help thinking about that, again, I got somebody in the front row. I'd be happy to help you. Talk to your RA. Talk to your RDs. Come over by King Hall. Talk to your local pastor. Ask your parents, hey, what do you think? What do you think? I tell you what, the reason why they're helping you come here is because they want your life to matter. To find somebody, to ask counsel. What's ahead of you? The gospel is just not a truth to be understood, but it's, a, but it's a transformative life to live. Here's the third one, last one, about the gospel. This week, being engaged, this week, really thinking about our gospel witness, leveraging those things. The third thing about the gospel I want us to think about is advancing the gospel. First one is knowing the gospel. Second one is displaying the gospel in your own heart and life. The third one is advancing the gospel. Matthew 28, that we started with, that there is a commission to advance the gospel, that there is a collective commissioning to the people of God to join in the advancement of the proclamation of the gospel. That is the mission of God to redeem a people for his own possession so that they might proclaim. Matthew 5 says that you are a light, therefore shine. Do it progressively advance it by your life in your words to proclaim that and let me tell you this very very clearly the context that that happens is not primarily at the master's university 
It is in the context of the local church. Please do not think that an expression of the advancement of the gospel can happen exclusively outside of the context of the local church. That is why we want you to be members, functioning members of your local church while you're here. Why we partner with local churches. Why we want you to be involved in your local church. Why we want you to say no to things here, good things here, to say yes to things in the local church. Why? Because the collective beacon for the gospel is not the master's university. It's the master's church. It's his church. Now, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? Well, everything that we do here is less. and That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is what you experience here is true. It's right. It's Christianly. And why we want to advance everything here, not to advance an institution, but to advance you as a Christian, is because what is going to last beyond your times here is your redemptive life that has been designed to be fed, grown, and to proclaim the gospel in the context of the local church. Find something in your local church that advances it. Find something. And if that something is praying for missionaries that are going, do it. If it means giving to them the two shekels that you got in your pocket, give it. Everybody in this room can pray for the missionaries in your local church. But it's hard to do. Why is it so hard to do? Because I'm distracted by lesser things. Because I think that it's going to come to me. Because everything at Masters comes to you, like on a plate. Oh, well, I'll do this godly thing today, and I'll do this. And, well, there are four godly things. I think I'll choose that one. And then there's another guy going, don't choose any. You're like, get away, right? <laughs> That's right, right? You got you to do those things. Listen, but in the context of the local church, you got to fight for it. You have to serve. 1 Peter 4.10, 1 Peter 4.10 says that you've been given a gift. Go and serve in that gift in the context of your local church, period, full stop. That means that you are incomplete in your witness for the gospel if you're not expressing that in some way in the context of the local church. That makes perfect sense for this season of your life at this semester right now. And it could look different next semester. I'm not saying that everybody has to start up a, a church plant in Pacoima. What I'm saying is, is that what does it look like? What's one way, one way? that you can invest in the local church, first and foremost, by being a member of one. Okay? That you are going to say, my life, that I'm working on displaying the gospel, my life, I am associating and being a member of this people. And this people is a redeemed people that God has set apart to be salt and light to this world. And I am with them. That's one. Another one is, is to find some sort of expression that advances the gospel. One, by encouraging somebody to, to display the gospel, helping somebody to know the gospel, and then actually administering and being a part of a, it, an activity or an effort that advances the gospel. You can do that by praying, you can do that by giving, you can do that by supporting, you can do that by promoting, and you can do that by going. By going. Go to a short-term missions in your local church. Go on a short-term missions that advances the local church in another country. 
Be a part of something. Be weary of things that advance that aren't a part of the local church. Just, just you can do them, but just know that in the end, the end goal is to advance the local church. Have a strategy for outreach, both local and global. Have a strategy for outreach, both local and global, within the context of your local church. Find it. Do you realize how many people, how many people get saved and get plugged into local churches because they're in crisis in a pregnancy? And how you can advance and be a part of your local church by being a listening ear and helpful counsel to somebody whose life just turned upside down? Do you realize how many people that we can help and support in our local churches just by going to the food bank or, or being a light as a tutor at the, at, the, at the local civic center or and or being and doing those same things that are happening in the context of your local churches? Find those things. Call up your local pastor. Talk about them. Find out how to do that because in the end, the proclamation of the gospel is mobilized in and through the local church. Essentially, the world is watching, friends. They're watching the people of God. Boy, is that true. Is that true? They're watching. They're watching. Display something. Display the truth that's inside of you. The truth of the gospel that's transformed you. And to do that in the context of the local church, doing ministry, outreach, local, global. That's what you've been designed to do. That's what you've been commissioned to do. And that is your greatest joy to experience. Why? Because God is worthy to be praised. He is the greatest and the most beautiful and the most holy and his name is to be praised among every other name, for he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Might our hearts long to worship that God and proclaim him to others in our lives, in the truth, in the church, in outreach to people who don't know him so that they might increase in their worship of that great God from every tribe, tongue, and nation, both in America and around the world. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. Might we encourage one another to do that in the good days and the bad days? because our God is constant and worthy to be praised. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, you are beautiful, and you are worthy to be praised. Might we here as a school, might we as brothers and sisters Jesus Christ, that we might be ones who taste and see that you are good. And that in the everyday moments of our hearts, that we might worship you and display the gospel. Might we invite our friends to join with us and to help us and to encourage us so that we might all together stand, not as a university that bears your name, but as a people who do. For we want your name to advance.
be with us now even as we prepare for this week and as there are so many opportunities for ministry, might you protect our hearts and might you give us courage so that in the end that your name would be proclaimed above all things. Thank you for the attention of my friends here. Might you bless them. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.